you should just be looking at small number of conversions, some small number of learnings, but nothing that you can take and say, this can be replicated in month two and nothing that you should make any type of projection against. That, that zero to three day period is really just for the ad platforms and for your growth marketer to have some idea of early signals for what's performing well, but nothing to make conclusions on. This is Digital Marketer. Hey everyone, this is Mark DeGrasse, the president of Digital Marketer, and this is the podcast that keeps you up to date on everything you need to know when it comes to digital marketing, from the platforms you focused on to the cutting edge tactics and tools that are working today. Today, our guest is Jake Manoff, the founder of Full Stack Growth Marketer, and we're talking trends in campaign building, uh, AI, and uh, new platforms and channels that you could use to actually expand in 2024, which uh, you should be trying to, because things are changing. And you could get ahead of it if uh, you know what's going on. So, welcome, Jake. Well, hello, hello. Happy to be here. Great to be here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's awesome. It's uh, you know, you said you've been listening for a while, and I'm always like, ah, is it good or not? <laughs> it is fantastic. I mean, this is on my top of the list for if it's a marketing podcast for sure. I love like experts talking to experts. Well, and you can always tell, you know, that's why, I, you know, we've really used the podcast as kind of a vetting system for how we get people on the stage and how we get people, you know, create courses and stuff like that. But I found if you have a good conversation and people could be awesome right off the cuff, then they'll probably be good teachers. So let's test you out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so why don't we start with uh, kind of how you got in the space and uh, just your current assessment of what's going on with digital marketing today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I've been doing digital marketing for uh, coming up with about nine years now. I started with my own company. It was an iOS app when apps were everything. It was, you know, the phrase Uber for or Airbnb for, or, you know, that was the, that was the time I, I, I created this app in around 2014, 2015 time. You know, I, I basically just taught myself growth marketing, digital marketing as a way to survive for the business. We were a small team. I had a co-founder. Um, we were funded by a few grants and a Kickstarter campaign that went really well. And then after running that for a few years, transitioned to a company called Bespoke Post. Bespoke Post, uh, I was there for a five, or just under five years, um, and I co-led growth with another team member. When I started there, we were spending you know around three hundred thousand per month. By the time I left, five years later, we were spending just under two million a month in ads. Um, we had a team of around eight growth marketers, and I like to say. If there's a platform that you can run ads on, we probably run ads on it. I mean, we we tested everything from programmatic television to to Reddit. To, of course, we were on the evergreen channels like Meta, Google, YouTube, etc. We tried Quora, TikTok, Pinterest. Uh, I mean, we we really did try to gambit uh, mailer campaigns. Uh, yeah, and then from there, I, I was always doing freelance on the side and uh, working with different businesses and. Just really enjoyed that. It kind of made that that transition. I led growth at Seal for a while at, at a company called Every Table as well, um, all venture backed companies, and uh, all the while just kind of building up this freelance portfolio. And, and full and full stack growth marketing was kind of core to all of that, which basically means doing paid social, paid search, SEO, and CRO. And uh, yeah, that's now kind of what I do. God, I love it. Well, I love how you have the whole gamut too, because I one of the things I talk about a lot is is how we're. And this is funny because a couple of years ago, even like a year ago, I wouldn't have been saying this, but like full stack is where it's at. Like it's, you can't just have these, these siloed of different marketing functions and expect anything to work 
together or pay off, uh, you know, one channel with another channel. And if, if you don't have it all kind of coordinated together, it just ends up being a mess and, and wasting money and not getting that kind of, uh, you know, consistency that everybody needs today. So love that and love that you, you tried all the platforms because very few people can say that, especially Pinterest and Quora. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's incredible. So we, we, just with that, what would you say is, uh, you know, your favorite now or you think is the most effective now in terms of uh, those paid ad channels? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Outside of, you know, I would put, as of today, I would put TikTok in that core group. So whereas maybe three, four years ago, it was really just meta, paid search and YouTube, and maybe you were running a bit of programmatic through Google Display or maybe AdRoll, for example, I, I would put TikTok in that core group with those channels at, at this moment in history, um, where if you're spending, you know, on the smaller side, maybe a, a couple or tens of thousands per month, I would try and add TikTok in there just to help with scale. The newest kind of interesting channel for me that I've been experimenting with, it, it depends on your business. I'll, I'll give a few examples on the service side. When I work with companies in like the the HVAC, home renovation, the whole wellness space, uh, landscaping, construction, that kind of more service-oriented space. Um, there are a lot of things that fall under that kind of home category. Nextdoor has been a really interesting gate platform to try where you can target homeowners directly. And it's typically uh, what like a little bit, it's as a similar quality as Nextdoor where it's a very engaged platform organically. Um, and it could be a little bit hard to tap into through paid. But we've had some some nice success as like a smaller supported channel for Nextdoor. Outside of that, kind of for your standard e-commerce, yeah, TikTok Shop has been a, a really great uh, one to try. Uh, within Google, Performance Max has been has been fantastic. Pinterest Shopping is also kind of a smaller one to try. Every channel, you know, I, I know we'll, we'll probably get into this a little bit too, but it's interesting where first we had Google Shopping and you can run through product listing ads. Then Meta launched Meta Shopping ads, and you can run that through Advantage Shopping. Pinterest launched their own Pinterest Shopping. TikTok has TikTok Shopping now. So that that placement of shopping to me is is kind of a what I like to venture into for e-commerce. And now almost every platform is building out their own their own style of a shopping ad. Ah, it makes sense. I, I think the you know the trend today is for everybody to consolidate their communities and basically be like, "You're mine." Like this is. This is where you come for your information. It literally has to be like that because I think search has gotten so not helpful that you you end up being like, well, I trust this whatever, and I know the contents there, and so I'm going to keep going back. And that, that's super interesting about you know Pinterest. We actually included uh, you know a social selling section in our uh, e-commerce certification, and at the time, I think we did that maybe a year and a half ago, I was like, ah, you know, I really, I wonder if that will become a trend or it's one of those things that everybody kind of enacts, like we're all doing reels at the same time. And then they're all doing social selling at the same time. Uh, but I think the money's just there. And, you know, everybody pays so much with merchant account fees when you're doing your own e-commerce store or Shopify store or whatever it is that, you know, why not sell everywhere? It's all needs to happen. And now you're integrating with the ad platforms you know, and putting the product on there. I will say though, is it, would you say that this is primarily for like e-commerce, like under a hundred dollar items? Cause I know TikTok is more geared towards that type of product. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. TikTok is really best for what I would call almost like conspicuous consumption, kind of more spontaneous purchases that are, have a lower AOV. 
Would you do you have uh, recommendations for platforms for say the the service? You know, it, it, with marketing or digital marketer, we're always talking to agencies and you know service providers like lawyers and you know people like that. Is it uh, what would you say is the the top platforms for that? Yeah, whenever I work with uh, yeah financial services, law, or even just like that home services category, typically paid search is kind of our top billing for that. Followed typically by Meta and Meta, I use. Whenever I'm doing kind of a heavy, it, it, de- it depends a little bit where with financial services and law now, like some law has almost like, if you've heard of Morgan and Morgan, like they've almost be advertised like a D2C company. Like they're running on podcasts, they're running on paid social, they're doing prospecting like you would if you're like a D2C company, it, which is kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, usually paid search is, is top billing, then followed by meta. And then I do like to add in more of a, kind of a larger aqua funnel channel, either like programmatic TV or podcast. Um, with service industry, you kind of have that room because your your CPA or your, your cost per hour or your your CAC, your cost per acquisition cost will be a bit higher. So you can, you know, maybe run on a higher funnel channel and and, and see that return. You know, with, with e-commerce that's harder because it's it's a bit tighter. Your attribution window is maybe shorter. And sponsored media. I mean outside of podcasts like sponsored media, sponsored editorial can be really powerful. Like if you have a an, an article and that gets amplified by you know the publisher through email and social. I, I love that because it, it's kind of like you know combining the organic aspects of digital marketing with the the paid aspects, so it actually gets found. You know, I think one of the statistics I read recently was that only about ten percent of web pages actually get indexed at all, like much less get traffic. And so even if you do have an awesome piece of content. You know, and then you have the SEO, which is like, you know, I, I've heard companies swinging like overnight 20% of their traffic. Like it's like things are going great. And then, boom, change 20% drop. And you're like, holy crap, what what can we do? It's like, it's like you can't do anything except for get into paid advertising. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Sir, with with SEO, just on that topic, SEO is, is really changing for service. Like I would say that would be a core component. And you know, arguably it still is today, but SEO in two years could be very different if search engines change to more of like a chat AI interface where, you know, things become citations in a in an AI answer versus natural listing in a search results. So I, I am very curious what SEO will look like in two to three years. Well, if that search engine results will look like. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, my theories are pretty extreme where I'm like, you know, why would they do generative content? Like, just personally, I wouldn't mind getting a personalized piece of content versus 300 million things that have literally nothing to do with what I am searching for. So, you know, it's going to be difficult because I think a lot of people have kind of built this. Uh, and I was one of them where it's like I said, hey, you only need to do organic. You don't even need to do paid. Like, you just have to be really good at making content, lots of it, optimize it. You're good to go. And nowadays I'm like, eh, I don't think that's enough. I think you need to, especially with the acquisition process. And well, let's talk about that because I, you know, one of my, my big, why I was such a proponent of organic was that the cost was high for advertising. I was like, well, I could do a free, why not? And then now it's going to, okay, advertising costs are increasing significantly. And even just getting people to anywhere, you know, is a lot more work than it used to be. So where do you see, you know, the price of ad ads going because a lot of people say it's it's going up significantly it really is yeah i mean baseline cpms are higher every year you know meta publishes a deck that they give to advertisers every q4 
that basically sets the expectation for how high your CPMs are going to be come Black Friday and Cyber Monday. <laughs> and uh, it, there's a whole dance that has to be done where if you're an e-commerce company, you have no choice. You have to spend during that period of time because typically you do see better conversion rate. You're getting to an interesting point now where net net, are you actually going to get as much a return if CPMs are increasing 20%, even if you see an increase in conversion rate 20% and then you're running a 40% off offer that's impacting your margin? Are you even still profitable? Doesn't even make sense to do to, to go that far during Black Friday every Monday. Uh, and then for service industry, typically, you know, my protocol is let's reduce spend a little bit for this period of time where CPMs can go up by 30 to even double, you know, even 30 to 100% increase. Uh, and let's reduce spend. So, yeah, I mean, overall, definitely baseline CPMs will increase. I think that's also why it's really important to kind of work with a full stack growth marketer or just have a, a multi-channel approach where you can distribute your spend if you if you have enough budget. Not don't spread yourself too thin, but if you have a you know a medium-sized budget, you can spread that budget between a few different channels and maybe find what channel works the best. Where TikTok is still a super low CPM because they have large supply and it's not as substantial and established as an app platform as meta for example so there are just fewer advertisers on it so that that will help lower you know your overall cost to advertise by distributing and kind of finding a channel that works best but absolutely it will definitely become more and more expensive to advertise oh well i love the idea of, of doing the experimentation where it's not just like hey we're a b testing an ad but we're literally you know a b c d f <laughs> e f g uh, you know, testing the platforms themselves to see like what's actually working. Now, when you do that, is it, uh, how do you do the split between like, okay, we have this much budget, you know, how do you say, where is this going or what platforms does it go to? For sure. I, I think of them in buckets. So let's say a, a small business or new brand coming in is maybe in the three to 10 K monthly spend range. If you're spending around three to 10 K per month, you should really be looking at one or two channels where you can maybe do, you know, 3K on in search and 3K, for example, on Meta, for example. Um, you don't want to split it up too much if you introduce TikTok in there. It would maybe get a little bit tight. You re you reduce your option to test more variables if you're spread across that many channels. Um, you can't really do robust testing creatively or audience level because then your budget would be a fraction of a fraction for across channels, across audiences, and across creative. So usually one or two channels works for that budget size. For your kind of next bucket, that's in the medium range of maybe, you know, in the 20 to 80,000 range or kind of in the tens of thousands of range per month. There you can run, you know, two channels and add in a third. You can do a bit more robust testing um, at the audience and creative level. You can get learnings faster um, where maybe with a smaller budget, you have to wait 45 days or so, you know, one to 1.5 months. With a larger budget, you can get that learning much faster because you're you're getting a larger sample size more quickly. And then with you know super large budgets, you know bespoke post or seal level where you're spending upwards of a million a month, there you can really have a lot of fun and experiment and try multiple channels. And you should always be testing. I mean, if you have that much media budget, there should not be one month or week where you you haven't run a test. But yeah, typically budget is is that is the most dependent variable for how much you're testing. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it's not, you're spreading yourself thin and saying, oh, I have $10,000. Let me do 10 channels because I'm sure the resources needed to even execute the campaign are a lot. Plus you're not going to get the data you want as soon as you want it. 
Now, with that said, when you are actually selling the client on this, saying like, hey, we have to go through this testing period, which is what a lot of agencies struggle with, where they're like, oh, I told them 30 days or something. <laughs> How do you tell the client, like, we literally have to do the testing. This is part of the process. There's not going to be an ROI necessarily. Hopefully there will be, but there's a chance that there won't be. Um, do you have a technique for kind of explaining, like, this is the process and it's going to take a little bit? I do. And it's a good question because it's it's one I've talked about and it's one that I've even A-B tested myself like over the years to try and perfect. So just at, at baseline, I always do a three-month minimum for engagement. Uh, and the way I, I say that is in the first 30 days, that first zero to 30-day period, you shouldn't expect to see anything hitting goal. You should just be looking at a small number of conversions, uh, some small number of learnings, but nothing that you can take and say, this can be replicated in month two, and nothing that you should make any type of projection against. That that zero to three day period is really just for the ad platforms and for your growth marketer to have some idea of early signals for what's performing well. Month two, you start to refine a little bit. You could start removing some of the early losers in your A-B test. Maybe if you're testing two different interest audiences or two different messaging uh, points, you can start to see some early signs. Hopefully one is statistically significant. If not, you can maybe make an early decision and by month two, start turning off some of those losing assets. Then by month two, then you're running with most of your top performers. Month three, then you can start to scale a little bit. Then you can start to say, okay, we're running with only our top performers. Let's add in maybe iteration on our top performer, maybe add in you know, small layer on top of the interest network or iterate a little bit on a creative or messaging network, and then start to increase your budget a little bit by month three. Now at the end of month three, you're now running with top performers and iterations on your top performers. And you've done a little bit of an elasticity test where you're like, okay, we've increased budget maybe by 20%. And hopefully our cost per acquisition didn't increase at all. We kind of left that pretty flat. That's a win. And then at the end of month three, you can start making projections. That's data that you can actually make conclusions on. Um, and you can feel actually just better about going forward. So that's typically how I, I I outline it. And that has worked time and time again. And I do find clients, agencies really like that that uh, expectation and, and they like, you know, how much you can't have candid you can be with those results. Oh, that's great. Hey everyone, I want to quickly interrupt the podcast for a special announcement. If you're listening to this podcast because you want to become a better marketer, then I want to share with you what I believe to be the most comprehensive digital marketing program on the market today. It's called the Digital Marketing Mastery Certification. You'll learn to leverage the tools and channels to predictably and profitably drive awareness, leads, sales, and referrals. Everything you need to know to become a true master of digital marketing. We'll take an in-depth look at the core digital marketing competencies, including content, email, social media, community, digital advertising, data and optimization, and more. After earning your Digital Marketing Strategist Certificate, you'll have the tools to effectively reach your target audience through a full scope marketing strategy. Get started today at digitalmarketing.com slash strategy cert. Well, and I love it. So, you know, three months is, you know, it's a good amount of time, but it's not six months or a year, which I know some agencies will always go for. Like, oh, no, we have to have six months because... First three months, we don't do anything. Yeah, I can say that. But, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're like, what are you doing with all that time? Like, you could test a lot of stuff really quickly if you wanted to. And if you have the budget, then, you know, you're wasting time if you're not using it. So go nuts. 
Uh, but that's awesome. And it, now, how's the the reporting go? Because I know that's area where the client has expectations, or oh, let's let's combine those. Like, how do you kind of set expectations? Then how do you report on how things are going? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and just on that point quickly with testing, like not not every test needs to be like a high fidelity test where you're testing a wholly a totally new concept. Like, you know, in those first few months, it's really important to test iterations where you're just like tweaking one variable, for example. You know, that'll that'll make the, the accounts more stable and predictable. But yeah, for reporting, that's it's a huge topic now with how much tracking and attribution is changing. So typically with the small to medium budget, I'll try and bring in a third party software where if I'm relying only on the platform reporting, I'll typically look at only click attribution. So, you know, with meta, the default attribution is click plus one day view, seven day click and one day view. That's going to add quite a bit of margin of error to your performance, because if you're running on Meta and you're running on Google, probably those two platforms could report 100 conversions, but you'll look at Shopify, for example, and you'll only see 80. And you're like, well, I don't understand where you get extra 20 coming from. That's probably coming from view through conversion. So typically, if you're using just in-platform reporting, definitely try and use either data-driven or just click attribution. And at this point, you can actually separate that out. There's a, you, know, you can add those columns in. And I'll try and report on click attribution and report on view through attribution separately. So we have more of a, an accurate idea and something that matches the sort of truth better. And then for attribution modeling itself, there are a lot of great tools like Triple Whale is one that's pretty common and popular now for e-commerce. Um, Amplitude is, is a popular one, North Beam as well. Um, those you can kind of do a bit more interesting ones with for kind of larger sets of data. Um, but I, I'm typically doing weekly reporting and if, if it's a smaller budget bi-weekly where sometimes you don't need you know touch base that frequently um but always reporting on like you know i'll organize it by let's report on current period comparison for period over period and then leave room to discuss how we're pacing against goals and then uh new ideas and audiences to test over that period of time Oh, I love that. Well, I love you talking about attribution too, because I think that, you know, when I learned that attribution is confusing at all levels of marketing, I was like, oh, I thought I just wasn't figuring it out right. And there was some magic way to actually know where the traffic's coming from. But I've talked to lots of people down. It's like, no, it's still pretty shaky. <laughs> you know, you know when money comes in and you know what you're spending on ads. So, you know, that's really the attribution that you're looking for. But yeah, the, I mean, between platforms, like it could vary enormously and it goes and not just for ads but for emails too where you're like it's an email like we know where it's tracked and but with privacy laws and and the stuff coming up now i mean it's uh, who knows what the heck you're gonna actually know because the, I, I think the spam reporting rate's going down to like 0.3 percent which is oh you know which actually i think it'll, it'll really endorse going back to paid media a little bit because at least you know what's going to happen for the most part, you know, ish. <laughs> so, well, and, and, you know, but the reporting you're doing is awesome. I think the the weekly is kind of an expectation. And the worst thing that could happen as an agency is that you don't send the report and they ask for it before you're ready to send, or you're like, I don't want to report because then they'll know that things aren't going as well as we thought they were. Well, let's talk about that. How do you deliver bad news when it comes to say a campaign or a budget? That's a great question. I will all, whenever I see, let's say we're underpacing, for example, and that's the bad news. You know, we're let's say underpacing on a revenue goal. If I see that, firstly, I'll say, is this a trend? So if it's just one week and the previous 
you know, six to eight weeks have been strong, I will typically couch that and contextualize it and say, this is not a trend yet. You know, this could just be one bad week. And it is important to set that because sometimes alarm bells can start ringing for a client where one week is bad and you really just have to say, listen, it's not a trend. Let's wait and see, you know, let's not act too early or prematurely, but let's say this is a trend and you're starting to see maybe this is week three now of underpacing. You, you should really start, and maybe you should do this by month two, so you have something coming to the table by month three, by, by week three. But by week two, you should be looking at, okay, you know, maybe that first week, that was an interesting week, maybe it was an anomaly. You should start drilling into, okay, was it the, you know, visitor to add the car conversion rate? Was it the add the car to checkout conversion rate, the checkout to purchase conversion rate? Like, break out that metric. If, if it was... If your ROAS is dropping, and that's what you're reporting on as, as bad news, really start to dissect each layer of that um, as to why that ROAS is reporting. Like where in the funnel is that occurring? Is it for some reason, you know, your, your add the cart, the purchase conversion rate is staying the same. It's staying around 20%. That hasn't changed. But for some reason, their add the cart conversion rate dropped from 15 to 7%. Then now you have something you can identify. You're not just reporting on that top number. You can say, Let's look into this. Maybe it's a plugin that you know is resulting in uh, people not being able to click the add to cart button as as well as they were before. Maybe you launched a new product details page test and it's not rendering correctly. You know you can drill down on the particular metric that's probably the bad news metric and then find out what that is. Um, it could even be something as simple as the CPM increasing, like a change that we saw on the on the reverse of this is. December was super high CPM. So in January, reporting actually looks pretty good because CPMs are down like 30% month period over period. And if you're able to hold your click rates and conversion rates, that's great. You're, you basically just made a 30% gain just because the costs are coming down. So I, I always like to drill down once I see a bad number and then report on, okay, you know, explain the due diligence that you did. Uh, and then zoom in on that metric and then always make recommendations. Oh, I love that. That's that a, you know, it's not even a technique. It's just being a good professional. You know, like I have an answer. Like I did the work. I know what's happening. Because I think, you know, just in all circumstances in life, the worst thing could be like if things were going bad and we don't know why. Hell, they're going no. <laughs> there's and no solution. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't even try. Like there's probably something wrong. <laughs> Uh, no, so I, I, I love that. Just have a response and drill into the numbers. And, you know, I think the more you do that and it becomes a habit, the more I think it would probably seem insane to to not do that. Like, oh, yeah, I just said, yeah, they were down 50 percent. We're going to look at do it. It'll be it'll be good. <laughs> and then then they goes to the client. Yeah, yeah. Bad stuff. Well, let's talk about uh, ad creatives because I, I know you mentioned TikTok and, and TikTok's a really unique platform for creatives because I know it doesn't really follow the typical rules of, hey, we're going to make a really good offer and we're going to make a really pretty ad and the branding is going to be all spot on and blah, 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 blah. But it's more of a, um, you know, UGC platform where it's like yeah, the users sometimes make the content or it looks like user made content. Uh, have you experimented with uh, different types of, uh, say, TikTok ads? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. TikTok, the biggest difference I've found between TikTok and let's say, you know, meta paid social is TikTok, the velocity of ad creative is so much higher. Uh, you know, you'll find, you'll, you'll burn through creatives in a week on TikTok, you know, seven to 10 days. Whereas on meta, that same creative may be able to last, you know, a month. That, that's not going to be the case on TikTok. 
And also with TikTok, you can't really kind of hack your way through it. With with Meta, you can run what I call like lo-fi ads, which are basically like, you know, not that much labor, a little like you didn't take that much work to make it. It's like an image ad with a headline over it or maybe like a little bit of a, a janky looking video creative. You know, it's it's not something that is super polished. That that'll work on Meta. You can run it on reels and stories. But what I found with TikTok is you you can't run like an, an image that you've turned into a video. That's not going to work. You can't run like slightly animated uh, GIF creative and let that run on TikTok. It really does have to be native. Like your 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 native score has to be like one to one. It has to fit into the feed seamlessly for it to perform well. And what that means is every creative should be nine by sixteen. Don't upload like a four by five video and then do like a you know some effect fill in the, the extra space. But really run that that native feeling nine by sixteen. Add subtitles on it. There's a great tool called Submagic that does AI subtitles and it adds like emojis and full styling to it. Um, that's a really important part of like an overlay that makes an ad feel native. And then also have strong hooks. So what I say for TikTok, because velocity is so important, is if you work with a content creator or you're just making it yourself, make a video that's 30 seconds, let's say. That 25 seconds, do that recording, keep that 25 seconds, that last 25 seconds, and just record different five second intros that you can easily mix and match onto that. So your, your creative zone is modular in that way where you can just take out that intro and then do different recordings of it and then just swap it in more easily. Because that's gonna be your biggest indicator for performance is your, in, is your intro. And then that'll also reduce your workload and, and make it feel a little bit uh, less of a, of a burden when you, know, you don't have to upload or, or record 10 different videos just record that one with a 25 second, you know, latter half, and then just do different intros every time. Oh, that's a great way to do it. Now, how many ad variations would you say you make for, I don't know, starting a campaign? Yeah, typically, you know, let's say, you know, in that medium client, I'm typically running one campaign, a prospective campaign with usually it's three or four ad sets, uh, each one pressing a different audience. And then within each of those, usually around three or four creative pieces um, in there. I don't really find much success with copy testing on TikTok. It's just such a low variable per lift. It's, you know, just one line of copy. It's about like a hundred characters. It's it's not really with meta, you can actually find some lift with ad copy testing. With TikTok, I haven't really found that to be the case. Yeah, visual, you know, people are and if it's not punchy within like what, three to five seconds, then you're not gonna be getting that viewer. You know, it's it's kind of funny because I I have seen on TikTok how they have like when you first pull up TikTok, like it'll show you an ad, like so that's the first thing you see. And I always like, oh crap! And then I, I, even before it starts, I'll usually go because I'm like, that's obviously an ad because it starts with like a big color screen, and you're like, oh, big color screen, you know that means it's a commercial ad, and I don't care about that. So that's that's an interesting side. But you know, the other side of TikTok is, of course, the influencers. Do you, do you actually do anything in terms of the partnerships with uh, recruiting influencers and using them to promote products? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I'll typically work with. Very rarely now. Well, I I used to do. You know, like years ago, it was it was much more kind of guerrilla tactics where you would be reaching out and DMing a ton of influencers and seeing who responds back. But now, almost always, I'm working through an agency and. Or, or not even an agency. Now they're I've almost called them like talent creator networks, where you basically just submit like a brief, and then you know creators just submit videos, and then you pay for the ones that you want to use. Basically, like Billow is a good example of that. It's very cheap UGC. Sometimes you can find success with it. It's kind of like the fast fashion of UGC in a way. 
um, where you get like a ton of creative really quickly from these creators. It may not be the best quality, but you can actually get some testing from that creative. But yeah, usually I'm working with one of those networks. No, that's awesome. Yeah, it's not, it really sounds like you tried everything. So that's, uh, you know, very encouraging. Well, and, and that you're still using the basics, you know, paid search through Google and then uh, Meta, you know, it's still... It still works, and actually, I well here. This is this is a question I'm, I seriously have because I've been wondering for the last few months. For a while, it seemed like they stopped spying on us. Like it was kind of like, oh hey, random ads about stuff I talked about without typing it into my phone at all weren't showing up on the phone. And I think that was maybe like a year or two years ago. We went through a big privacy thing, but now it seems like all that's gone because I seem to get ads on my television. I get ads on my different social media networks. Uh, emails, like I get it everywhere. I'm like, I didn't tell anybody that I wanted to get a travel pillow. That was a conversation I had with my wife. <laughs> like, what the heck happened? Uh, did they, did things change? Like, did we revert back or did they just loosen guidelines? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, with with um, the iOS 14.5 changes, um, that definitely did cause for a period there people to opt out of being tracked. So, you know, you got that pop-up on your phone if you were browsing Facebook or Instagram that was basically like, do you want to be tracked? And you would have to say, you know, ask app not to track. But very quickly, platforms launched what was basically called server-side integrations or enhanced tracking, where it wasn't just cookie-based tracking. They were using more complicated, like, layer tracking. I believe they call it, like, people-based, which is basically, like, matching your IP to your email address and then matching that to other devices. So... That makes sense. Yeah, they found a way to get around it. You know, you should definitely be utilizing those forms of tracking. You know, turn on your API tracking, turn on uh, your your enhanced tracking. But it, it's it's uh, it's going to be very hard. I mean, this Chrome update is another big one that's coming in, uh, where like the Chrome browser is, is starting to you know pull away a bit. Um, that'll make some changes in the space for for targeting and tracking. But then it will be a few months of that. And then, you know, the app platforms will try and find a way to get around that as well. <laughs> find a way to be like, oh, no. Well, you didn't say anything about reading their eye movements. So that's on you. <laughs> You're like, wait a second. That was implied. We're not spying on people's cameras. But, uh, you know, it's uh, there's even creepier things. Like some, some people say that, you know, using Wi-Fi, you could actually track the location of people in a house where it's like, oh, wow, that's that's terrifying. Uh, and can also be used for some good advertising. Uh, but not that we, you know, as marketers, we're just using the tools. And I think that's the, uh, the thing that people get confused about that. It's like, why wouldn't you use the best form of whatever to get the best result possible? And that's, you know, and it's legal at, at the end of the day. So it's, uh, it's just what you choose to do. And, you know, honestly, I always turned on, I usually turn on the tracking for everything. Cause I'm like, I like seeing relevant ads. Research. Allies for in marketers. Yeah, I think that when they first did that Facebook thing, I think there was the opt-in and they said what, like 99% of people opted out or like 98%, something nuts. And I was like, oh, I'm one of the ones that opted in because I'm like, I want to see what ads are working and what looks good. Uh, so we're not normal people, but we got tons of good numbers now, but we'll see. I mean, well, let's say that. Let's say that the, the restrictions come on. We don't have as good tracking. The retargeting kind of gets jacked up are there kind of uh evergreen advertising principles that you employ that you think could survive any of the crazy changes that might happen yeah I, i'd be very curious like you know what would be that ultimate you know bringing the hammer down that you know browsers or or devices could do but 
I would agree that retargeting them would probably be the first to go. Like, you know, retargeting where you're using pixels or, you know, cookie-based lips to try to retarget. That's really going to be the first one to get hit there. I, I For me, then it would move to like probably try more kind of broader and in-platform targeting options. If like, you know, you're not able to really, if the platforms aren't able to build effective lookalike lists, uh, not able to build effective lists that you can retarget, your, your targeting is probably just going to move a bit more broad. Um, the platforms are even, you know, suggesting that now if you speak with like any meta or Google rep, they're like, go more broad, like run an awareness campaign. Like they want you to go like as broad as possible. That's, that's really, in my opinion, after even having a friend that's on the product team at meta, that's really just a way for them to say, this is the easiest way you can spend your budget, you know, cause that's their main objective is, can you spend your budget fully? But my prediction has always been. The, the ultimate player in the space of advertising that could come in and change the game is Apple, where Apple really right now does Apple search ads in their ad, in their app store. If Apple, imagine a case where Apple, they control our, our desktop devices, they control our, our mobile devices. But imagine where they have like a, a self-serve advertising platform where you can push a notification out to devices. Like you can do like, in the same way, you get almost get like an Amber Alert, think of it that way, but not an Amber Alert about an advertisement. And you can like select like demographics or location and do maybe not interest targeting, but just like broad demographic targeting and push a notification out to people as like a one-time thing that you could do. That to me is, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they get into advertising at some point because it just seems like such a significant reach, such a high touch placement, like a, a, you know, a banner notification on your iPhone, for example. But that's always been like my kind of like holy moly that would be a big change in the advertising space if that ever happened oh that's a that's a huge elephant in the room where it's like they could just decide to do this and they could say you can't have meta on apple devices like they could do that <laughs> they're like holy crap that's that's a ton of power and it's just like a money button that they could hit at any point and that you know but maybe they're saving it up for the vr environment that they're creating which you know, I always tell people, I'm like, VR has to happen because it's literally the dream of all marketers ever, right? I can control all of the content in your environment and I have 100% of your attention. That's the dream. Like, I could put anything I want in front of you. I could guide you down paths of content that are completely commercial oriented and you wouldn't even know. And, and it'd still be helpful and stuff. But I mean, the potential there for both doing advertising and abuse is enormous. So it should be interesting to see what happens. And uh, this, this has been great. I think, you know, I mean, we barely scratched the surface. So definitely going to have you back on. Um, I'd love to talk to you in a few months and kind of said like, so what happened after XYZ crazy event happened in the last three months? So we'll have you back on. But in the meantime, uh, where can people learn more? Yeah, my name was yeah J Jake Madoff, and my website is just my name, jakemadoff.io. Yeah, I'm a full-stack growth marketer. Would love to get in touch. You can also just search me on Google and, and find my link in there. It's just all my name. So, but yeah, would love to get in touch and uh, see if we can work together. Awesome. Well, this is this has been great. Uh, really appreciate your perspective and your dedication to you know trying all the platforms because I think it's uh, it's really easy to just get like, well, I'm good at this one, so I'm just going to do this one, but. With everything changing so often, I think the way you're doing it is probably the best way to stay on top of the trends because otherwise, who knows? I mean, there could be some new platform in six months that just destroys everybody and you're like, oh, well, I was just a you know meta agency and so I didn't get on that trend. 
so I think I think you're ahead of it, and uh, really appreciate your perspective and your your candidness with with sharing all the information because I think it could really help a lot of marketers to understand what's happening and why they have to do what you're doing, which is everything all the time. So well done. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, that's just fantastic. Well, thanks a lot, Jake. Appreciate your time. And thank you so much for listening. Be sure to hit that follow button so you get notified when all of our new episodes release. Please share this with that friend who's clueless about digital marketing. And don't forget to visit digitalmarketer.com where you can access all of our courses, certifications, and training programs. Thanks again, everyone. And I'll see you next time. This is Digital Marketer. Get ready for the two easiest ways for you to generate product photos for your e-commerce store. I'm Lauren Petrullo, founder and CEO of Mongoose Media and Digital Marketer Academy faculty member. I've managed over 50,000 SKUs for over 100 different e-commerce sites, and I cannot tell you the importance of quality product photos. Not only are they important for your website, but they're great to be repurposed in your email marketing campaigns, your paid ad initiatives, and your organic social media content. It's imperative that you have great photos because great photos sell your products and start conversations with your consumers. There are two great solutions when seeking out quality product photos for your e-commerce site. One, UGC. We know that native user-generated content wins all day on social. When you can get your customers to share back their use of your products in their voice, in their personal applications, you will see dividends when that is repurposed in your paid ads and organic social feeds. Secondly, don't have customers or UGC yet? Not a problem. There are cost-effective solutions in which you can outsource that photography. This and so much more is covered in my modules in our e-commerce cert with Digital Marketer.